Those who are new at Forest, let me brief you about our Sunday message series. Uh, every year, we have uh, three regular sermon series. Uh, during Lent and the spring, uh, we study something about Jesus and gospel because um, New Year always begins with Jesus. Jesus is the one who makes us new. And during the summer, we'll, we look at the Old Testament. And then fall, we return to New Testament and usually reflect on the epistles. And the winter, we do Advent season series. Spring 2019, so far we've been studying the parables of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. And uh, we have uh, two more weeks to go. And uh, so we have a ninth parable today, and the next Sunday will be our last parable. And uh, today's parable is another story about prayer. It's another story about prayer. We already heard about Jesus' teaching on the importance of prayer. Do you remember which parable? That we looked at it? Anyone? Parable of a friend at midnight. Do you remember the Luke chapter 11 story that a parent, friend that had a sudden visitor and he didn't have enough food to, you know, uh, host him? And so, Jesus repeats another parable of a prayer. And the question is obviously why? Why does he repeat? Do you like me to repeat stuff? Nobody likes a repetition. You know? Do you like a repetition from your husband or your wife? Yeah. I mean, Jesus is the greatest teacher of all. Why does he repeat? Simply, as you will find out, prayer is so important. Prayer is a lifeline to our life and our faith. What breathing, breathing is to life is what prayer is to our Christian life. And by the way, the last two parables that we're going to look at in the Luke chapter 18 is all twin parables about prayer. Both talked about is in a topic of our prayers. The difference between the Jesus teaching on prayer in Luke chapter 11 and Luke chapter 18 is this. Luke chapter 11, disciples ask Jesus, teach us how to pray. That's how you know whole thing started. Whereas chapter 18, as we see, this was initiated by Jesus. And I totally understand why he repeated. Because Jesus is closer to Jerusalem. This parable was given when he was going to Jerusalem for the last time. The closer he gets to Jerusalem, the more Jesus wants to prepare and strengthen his disciples. And nothing will prepare them better than prayers. So that's why Jesus, again, put out this important truth about prayer. So let's read our text today. Luke chapter 18, verse uh, uh, 1 to uh, 8. Let's read it responsibly. Okay? Brothers and sisters will read it responsibly. Then Jesus told his brothers, we go here together, 1, 2, 3. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And there was a widow in the town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. <laughs> yeah, because this widow keeps bothering me. 
I'll see what she gets justice. So that she won't eventually come and attack me. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I'll tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find the faith on the earth? This parable presents us three contrasts. Three contrasts. It's a contrast of a principle, contrast of a uh, persons, and contrast of a practice. So this is a sermon outline. Okay, three contrasts. Okay. Uh, my uh, youngest daughter, Bethel, always says, well, what was your third point? <laughs> so today I was giving out the older outline person. She's not here. She's in the, okay, she's now coming from San Antonio Orchestra Church. But anyway, so three contrasts. Contrast of a principle, contrast of uh, persons, contrast of uh, practice. Easy. And all these three main points will teach us about prayer. Answering questions like, why we should pray, first one. Second one is, how come we don't pray? <laughs> and third one is, what is a real faith? Or what is a real you know, faith that prays? Now, about the contrast of a principle, Jesus said, verse one, Jesus told the disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Pray and not give up. Here Jesus said very clearly, lack of a either you pray or you give up. Pray or give up. The word give up, I don't like uh, NIV translation. You know, uh, ESB translated to lose a heart. Actually, I like a King James, old English translation, which means not faint, not faint, or not become a tired. You know, the Greek word here is uh, ekakeo, ekakeo, and actually it means not get tired, not fainted, not lose energy kind of things. In Galatians 6.9, Paul said, let us not become weary in doing good. For the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So the word weary, become weary, that's the same word, ekakeo. So better translation is a Either you pray or you become weary. So that's the principle. Either we pray or we become weary and fainted. Lack of prayer, let me tell you, will deplete your spirit and discourage you more than anything. Here Jesus boldly confronts us with this, two, this contrast of two principles. Either we pray and thrive or we don't pray and then faint. You know, life of, Christ, life of following Christ, discipleship, is nothing but a working with God. God invited us to work with him. What we do is not a human work, it's God's work. You know what that means? God's work means God's power. We cannot do God's ministry in our own strength. Anybody knows if you do God's work on your strength, you are doomed. Yeah, <laughs> the best I can say is you are doomed. Ministry without prayer is a recipe for disaster. This is why I see some of my pastor friends got into big trouble. They even ended up breaking up of marriages. 
because of a ministry stress. But ultimately, everything has to do with the prayer. When we forget to pray, we begin to struggle. That is a life. Because you know why? God never called us to his ministry. That, we, that, that he needs our whatever resources and our service. God called us to ministry. You know why? Because he wants us to walk with him. And experience him. And use him. And walk with, you know, talk to him. That's why God invited us to serve him together, serve service, service call. And this uh, week we had a very good news. Somehow our house church ministry grew, steadily, grew slowly, steadily, not out of textbook. Like uh, you know, we had many VIP. They became a Christian, and then we multiplied. No, we didn't. But uh, we just had uh, many uh, new members in the Sunday worship. And then, so three house churches, they reorganized, and the new house church was born. Do you know? That's new house church is a Bolivia house church. And the Lee Parker, where are you? Stand up. Hannah is a, has some uh, health issues today, but uh, let's give her Lee a big hand. And I'll keep standing, because I wanted to look at Lee for a second. He's smiling right now, awkward, but let me tell you, Lee. <laughs> If you don't pray, you're going to disaster. <laughs> and uh, my, my commitment to you is that beside a usual weekly prayer for whatever prayer request, I'm praying for you so that you can pray and experience God's power and presence. Amen? Amen. Please sit. House church without prayer is not a house church. You know, house church is not about the food and then social fellowship. Deep down, it's all about prayer. God answering our prayer and we sharing our prayer requests honestly and humbly and frankly and even nakedness. And then we really, you know, praying for one another and God answering their prayers. And that's how we know that house church really works. Prayer, I must say, goes before us in every ministry. Ian Bound once said, the story of every great Christian achievement is a history of answered prayer. You know, for us from beginning to now, is all the little successes we had, it was answered to prayer. I'm glad that Sean Choi reminded us in the congregational prayer that the fact that we are worshiping in this place this Sunday today, last, you know, four, four for four years, it's because God answered our prayer to find the, we didn't even pray the ministry partner, the first Baptist plane of God bless them. They're the best host that we know, hosting church that we know. Those of you new to our church, they don't charge us money. They're the most accommodating. You know, we are so grateful. We give a little bit. How much, Sean? $300 a month? for the uh, utility bill. Even that, they say, oh, you know, they're so grateful that we actually showed our appreciation. This is a, I don't know about you, I pray for them, that God bless them and grow them. And they are planning to relocate. They already told us, you're coming with us. You know, 
What, what kind of church is this? And this is, I didn't find them, God find them for us. All answered prayer. When I see many of us here, you are answered to prayer. God brought you here because we pray for you. And truly, either we pray and go forward with Jesus, or we don't pray and we struggle in our own weakness. So that's what Jesus is saying. Pray, otherwise you will faint. That's the first thing. Now, second thing, that's our parable. Here, Jesus gave a contrast of a person. And here, in this well-known parable of a so-called persistent widow, Jesus presents widow as an example of a prayer warrior. Why do you think that Jesus made this widow, this poor, desperate widow, especially in front of this very ungodly, unjust judge, as prayer warrior? Because this widow has no other option. She's so desperate. Only way for her to live is to receiving help from that judge. You know, many times we don't pray because we are not desperate. Once again, we are not desperate because we don't realize what kind of life God called us. This is not something we can do on our own. And many of us usually pray hard when we have a crisis. When somebody's sick, or when I lost a job, or what, I have some whatever you know, issues, that's when we pray. But you know what? As you will see later, without God, every day is empty and meaningless. Speaking about this widow, back then, widows is a, is a synonym for the destitute, uh, unlucky, almost accursed. Because of being widow is really, really hard in ancient times. Today, compared to today, being widow is not bad. Seriously. You know, because if your husband is wealthy, oh yeah, today's widow, they do very well. Right? We even have a term called the black widow. You know, I told you that I have a half million dollar of term life insurance. And every time Jamie and I, we fight, I'm scared. I'm scared to eat the food. You know, I usually say, you go first. You know, I mean, would you believe it? We had a, Jamie and I, we, we have identical birthday. And we had a birthday. I prepared something for her. And then she, I did something wrong. And then, oh. <laughs> just a little thing wrong. She was preparing uh, this uh, delicious quinoa salad for the house church. And uh, you know, she told me to take some and then put some uh, avocado and uh, uh, what is it, the lime juice to eat. I thought she asked me to put the avocado and lime juice for the salad to finish. So you know, in, in my busy day, I chopped all the avocados and I squeezed all the you know, limes and I, I mixed them best as I could. And when she came home, she said, you ruined my salad. <laughs> she was so upset. I, and I read the text again. Oh, oh, no, that's not what she meant. But you know, that's me. You know, I misread uh, other people's text, especially Jamie's. And she was so upset. And she's so upset. And I, I fled to upstairs. <laughs> and uh, 
And then later she came back from the house church and still was upset. And she said, I have to buy that dinky, uh, whatever, the, uh, what did you buy? Mac and cheese. And I, you wasted my you know, delicious quinoa for my house church. So today's widow, they're doing well, you know? My mother is a widow. She's doing very well. She's a very happy widow without my father. Now, ancient times, the stories are totally different. If you become widow, you're in big trouble. Because you don't get anything from your, uh, your husband's uh, you know, uh, uh, wealth unless you have a son. If you don't have a son, it costs a husband's family. And the you are uh, almost mistreated as a servant and slave in husband's family. Because you, once a husband is gone, your worth, your identity, your significance is out. In some case, if your husband owes debt to somebody, you know what? Sometimes, not sometimes, ancient people, they sell the widow as a part of payment. And Lamentation 1, let me show you. Lamentation 1, 1, Jeremiah describing the, uh, the exile, the, the spiritual condition of exile of Israel to the widow in this way. How deserted lies the city, Jerusalem, once so full of people. How like a widow is she, who was once great among the nation. She, who was a queen among the provinces, has now become slave. This Lamentation 1-1, based on the common practice back then, that if a husband owes some debt and died, widow is sold as a slave too, as a part of payment. And in this story, we know that God is a husband to Israel, but Israel, out of faithfulness, they kind of uh, you know, lost their husband, God. And as a result, what happened? They become a slave as a payment of their sin. And then they are, going, you know, they are being sold to the foreign power. Now, coming back to this story, coming back to the, uh, this, this desperate widow, her only hope was uh, this judge. And this judge is a very interesting uh, uh, character. Because if you look at it, he said he was, he was, uh, he was a judge, verse 2, who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. Uh, what people thought. Well, many scholars think that this is not a Jewish judge. This is probably a foreign judge or a Roman judge that, you know, he got this job through a political connection or bribery. And uh, he is an atheist. He neither fear God. Okay. Atheist today is more like a philosophical term, right? Ah, you know. But ancient time, atheist is a moral term. And you should know when somebody calls you atheist in ancient time, this is the worst derogatory word somebody gave you. This is uh, all those you know, derogatory words you can think of, plus, I mean, exponential you know, power. So, because but some even said in the full in their hearts that there is no God. When you say there is no God, that means no moral to 
reply. So when somebody calls you are atheist in the ancient world, that means you are immoral. You don't care about good, good or evil. You're just a small selfish. You're just like an animal. That is an atheist. By the way, did you know one of the derogatory words that Christians was called in, in Roman, Roman Empire was atheist? Why? Because the Christian denied polytheism. Many other gods. They say only there is a, you know, Jesus is only God. So they called the Christians atheists. Now, so this guy, he doesn't care about God, and he doesn't care about people's opinion about him. He's just a pure, selfish, you know, a, a materialistic, you name it. This is a worst kind of a judge. And that's her only hope. The fact that she came to him every day to plead, that means what? She has no money to bribe. She has nothing but her words and plea. Only thing she has is, help me out, please. Help me out, sir. Help me out, sir. And the conclusion of this parable is very interesting. Jesus said what? For some time, verse 4, he refused. But, that means conclusion, finally he said to himself, even though, repeat, I don't care about God, I don't fear God, nor care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice, so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Her persistency was so great, he got paranoia. You know, she keeps bothering me, in original Greek, actually means keep past, you know, jabbing me. It's a boxing term. You know, and if you know about boxer, jabbing is a very important weapon. You know, that's why all boxers, you know, do the, you know, many good boxers, they have a great, you know, jab. She was jabbing him and jabbing him, little bit, little bit, little bit every day. And he was totally at the point of being knocked out. And eventually he got paranoid that she will attack me. How in the poor widow can attack the magistrate? This is impossible, but that's how much he felt by her persistency. If there is a one, you know, Jesus called us about persistence, it's about prayer. Some persistency doesn't pay. You, found, you, you, you chase a girl that doesn't like you, you know, that persistence sometimes doesn't pay. Today, you know, she called police, you're out. You know? Some persistence doesn't pay, but there is a persistency that we, Jesus said, I guarantee it will help you. That is a prayer to God. Have you seen uh, some uh, examples of a persistency? You know, when I was preparing this message, it reminds me of a, a unique character that I remember. I met many unique characters in my life, but this guy is one of the top 10. <laughs> he, uh, my uh, uh, second half of my seminary days in, in Golden Gate, Bay Area, I, was, uh, I started a, a church asked me to start a grad student ministry at UC Berkeley. So we had a grad student ministry, and the one summer, uh, a student from University of Indiana, you know, summer, you know, a student came for the summer school, and the, even though his age is uh, all other same, older than some other grad students, but he he wasted his life a little bit. So he's all, he's undergrad in Indiana, but because of age, we just you know called him to our group. And he really liked our Bible study and fellowship. 
So after you know uh, second month, he said, Pastor Paul, I want to really transfer to Berkeley. I said, that's good. Go and you know, your grade is okay, so why don't you go and then apply next year? He said, no, I want to transfer to this fall. We're talking about July. School starts September, and he wants to come to Berkeley. No, no school will accept you in two months. I mean, already the deadlines, everything is a past. And the special state school like Berkeley, you see Berkeley or, you know, any, they are like a bureaucrat, like, you know, they, they don't do that. But he said, please pray for me. When somebody asks you to pray for you, what do you say? Okay, I didn't have a faith. Okay, God, teach him humble, humility, whatever. But every, you know, Bible study, he said, I want to transfer to Berkeley. You know, uh, you know. the reason he liked to transfer is that he, used, he liked to gamble. He actually came to Berkeley in the summer because Indiana was hot in the summertime. And the Berkeley school, Bay Area school, and also, uh, what is it, Tao is not, Reno is not far. And he came to you know, study and gamble and chill out, and then he got into the Bible study, and he, that turning his life around. And really didn't want to go back to Aula. So you know what happened? He went to admission you know, office. And the, asked them, I want to transfer, help me to transfer this fall. And they all laughed at him. <laughs> and so he was rejected, and then he's been making appointment and appointment, and finally he got to the final appointment with the associate director. And now this poor associate director got this uh, persistent widow through this back. <laughs> this guy was saying that if he sent me back to Indiana, I have uh, some kind of hunch. Something bad going to happen to me. I have to drive. Either accident will happen. I have a real bad um, omen about this. Sending me back to Indiana, and you hear news about me, it's on you. <laughs> this a poor associate director was a black male. This Asian, you know, young, Asian, you know, old you know, undergrad student was saying that uh, my life depends on you. My life depends on you. Don't send me back to that. Don't send me back to that. He's been hopping on her day after day. You know what happened? He received admission. <laughs> he received a conditional admission. It's a conditional, it's not a regular. So they accepted him, said if you, you know, one semester get more than, you know, no B, I mean, anything below B, anything above B, B above, you will be a full student. And then he came and said, God answered prayer and all this. And I said, no, <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's, you know I was kind of, so he is a, yeah, one of the weirdest guys that I remember even today. <laughs> I mean, he has a colorful story. I'm going to use milk him a little bit. But point is this. Even in the worldly matters, we are persistent. Something pays off, right? Jesus is giving us this parable. If this is so-called the famous, you know, Jesus has this parable, this parent in the parable, the lesser to greater. If an unjust, evil, selfish pagan judge grant request of this poor, destitute widow, how much the gracious, almighty, all-loving God will answer the prayers of his beloved children? There is my guarantee for your prayer. 
Pray persistently. And you will have your answer. Because God loves you and he is almighty. Now, let me bring the conclusion. Verse 6 and verse 7. Uh, verse 6, Jesus said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God bring about justice for the chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep pulling them off? I'll tell you. He will see what he will see that they get justice quickly. And however, when Son of Man comes, will he find a faith on earth? Jesus concluded today's teaching with about his coming. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? What does it mean by the Son of Man come? You know, this expression is Jesus talking about eschatological promise. And if you look back, earlier chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus said this. Once on being asked, 17, 20, once on being asked by Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. No will people say, here it is, there it is, because kingdom of God is in your midst. So Jesus is talking about here, coming of the kingdom of God. I mean, First thing Jesus mentioned about coming is here. And then he gave this parable. The teaching and then this parable. And then ended the coming. What do you call forest people? What do you call this? Jesus starts something with the same word at the beginning, at the end. It's called inclusio. Yes. It's a very common literary device. Inclusio. It's like a book end. You know, it kind of, uh, this is how, so this, this is a very common way of uh, speaking, this, uh, speaking and teaching. And Jesus basically saying that when I come, I want to see real faith. But the interesting thing is here is this. Jesus is talking about praying here, right? But Jesus said, when Son of Man comes, will he find people praying? That's not what he said. Jesus said, will he see faith? He didn't say, will he see people? This is a, that makes sense, right? If Jesus said, will I see you praying? That makes sense because he's talking about praying. But instead of praying, he said, will I see faith when I, return, when I come back? What does it mean? It means, Ultimate eschatological faith. You know, eschatological is a heavy word. Eschatological means end of the ages, last days. What is an eschatological faith? You know, have you seen people who claim to have eschatological faith? What kind of faith they have? Jesus coming back 2020? You know, or whatever. Eschatological, usual people who claim, uh, claim eschatological faith is People of otherworldly, some kind of a, you know, cataclysmic event in the future, you know, 666, you know, tribulation, you know, world government, antichrist, and all this kind of, you know. You take a cornerstone Bible study, it'll clean your mind about all this misguided eschatology. Born in Dallas. <laughs> you know, yes, we are home of a wrong eschatology. Now, 
Biblical eschatology is much more. Eschatological faith is not otherworldly faith. It's a very disworldly faith. Eschatological faith, Jesus talking about nothing but a praying daily to God. That's what Jesus is talking about, is a praying daily to God. That is what Jesus is calling disciples to do. Prayer is our ultimate expression of a faith. Faith without praying, I might say, is nothing but a conceptual. It's a concept. That's a religious idea. Christianity, faith is a relationship. It's a living, breathing relationship with the Almighty God who loves me more than anything in this world that He didn't spare His own Son. It is the most incredible, crazy, loving relationship. How can you not speak to God? How can you contain God in your, in your, in your, in your mind or occasionally in your heart? If you're really having faith in loving God, we talk to God for everything. That is a true eschatological faith. That is what Jesus is saying that when Son of Man comes, I want to I see praying faith, praying persistently. I want to end the sermon, this message, with this challenge. Do you know how you can really uh, improve your prayer life? This is my application for all of us. I want all of us to pray to start the day thanking God at least five minutes. Don't do anything. Just thanking God for ordinary things that God blessed you. Recently, I read a, a, a poem, long poem, written by a very uh, famous Korean woman writer, incredible common Korean, uh, South Korean woman writer, novel, novelist. Uh, Korean name is Park Wan So. And this uh, poem is called The Miracle of an Ordinary Day. Or, and uh, I, I translate it a little bit. So here it is. Suddenly, I became sick. After pleasant dinner with friends, I came home and felt waist pain and back pain. I thought I would be fine next day, but I had a hard time to get up from the bed in the morning. Then all of a sudden, all the ordinary acts became huge tasks, bending my body to wash my face, picking up little things on the ground, putting on socks, even coughing. Getting up and sitting down is no longer easy task for me. Helplessly, I went to hospital, and all day long, I was very unproductive. And all of a sudden, I began to hear the sound of my body. And my body was telling me, my throat hurt, my waist is painful, my shoulder is was heavy. My eyes been tired. Every part of my body seems to complaining to me. And I was totally helpless by sudden rebellion of my body. Then I remember Chinese proverb. The real miracle is not flying in the sky, 
Noah walking on the ocean, but walking on the ground. How do you like it? Isn't it true? True, real miracle is not flying in the sky, nor walking on the ocean, but walking on the ground. Everything that I take for granted, I realize it's not easy anymore. It's so true. Before you become sick, and after you become sick, it's so life is a different. Few days ago, I visited my mentor. He became, his condition became so deteriorated that only thing he could do was blinking his eyes. I couldn't see anymore. He's a sharp mind and the, his, and the eloquent expression and the uh, witty words. I felt sad. And then I realized what he wants most right now is to get up by himself and talk to people he likes and laughing with them and perhaps walking with them. All those ordinary things became a dream to him now. That's only one third of a poem and I stop here. But her point is so true. There are so many things that we should be grateful every day. Do you know how much it costs an ICU? If you, one day in ICU, I checked, costs 11,000 if you use a machine, or 7,000 if you don't use an expensive machine. The fact that we are not in ICU, you save 11,000 to 7,000 a day. I was in ICU one time, a few years ago, for one week. Bill came out over $100,000. So every day, do you know, you know how much it costs to hip replacement? I didn't check. But my hip is fine. My knee is fine. My, all the part of my body is functioning well. If it is not working, you know how much it costs? Not just my body. What about my children? Do you thank God for your children's health? You thank God you have a child that you miss her? You know, sometimes we have a children we don't miss when they're gone. Right? I, my, my confession. But thank God. <laughs> we have a children that we love to see them back at the end of the day. Every day, I want us to start this a prayer of thanksgiving. You know, Paul said several times in his letters, Philippians chapter 4, he said, Rejoice in the Lord always. And then he said, in the couple verses later, Don't be anxious about everything, but everything with a, with a prayer and thanksgiving you present. And the peace of God, the peace of Christ will transcend. Once again, Thessalonians, Paul said, be joyful always, and then pray continually. You know how we pray continually? It always starts with a thanksgiving. So you wonder, how, how can I be a prayer warrior? Give thanks to God. Just uh, five minutes of the beginning time of the day, just wherever you are, you thank God, you know, everything that God placed in your life. We're going to sing a song.
Thank you, Lord. By thank you, Lord. And uh, I remember Mo chose this song after he came back. Mo and Jenny chose this song after their uh, difficult time. And some of you understand what I'm talking about. And this song says, I come before you today. There's just one thing I want to say. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. For all you have given to me, for all the blessings I cannot see. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. With a grateful heart, with a song of praise, with the outstretched arms, I bless your name. Thank you, Lord. I just want to thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Jesus loves us. And the only thing we can say is thank you, Lord. God loves us every time, all the time, no matter what. When we're in trouble, he loves us more. We thank God more when we're in trouble. When we fail more, when we fail miserably, we thank God more mightily. Let us thank God persistently. And this is how we'll be prayer warrior. This is how we know that our walk, Christian walk, it's not a religious ritual. It is a living relationship with a living God.